How's everybody doing? Good. Everybody's, everybody, everybody seems a little bit tired. Everyone's a little bit tired. No? No? You guys? No? McDonald's are fine? Yeah, that time change, that really wrecked me last, last week. Anyway, the question this morning is, do you stop or do you keep going? Do you stop or do you keep going? This morning was a test of that question for me. So I saw the snow squall warning. I was like, honestly, it's middle of, this, this time of year really gets me down because I'm so done with it. You know what I mean? Yes? I'll never do this again, but can I get an amen? You'll never hear that from my mouth again. But I'm just done with winter over this time of year. And I saw the snow squall warning, and I was talking to Jen. I was like, gah. I'm like, I just, ah. But I was checking the radar, and it looked like it was kind of cutting south of Bruce County, where I live. It was like, it's going to cut south. It's hitting listable areas, you know. And if I can just get a little bit north, I'll, I'll be fine. And so Faith is like, you shouldn't go today, my wife. I was alone, and I figured there's a 50-50 chance that I'm actually just going to have to turn around and come home and then Zoom, and I don't want to do that. I, I, so I'm driving, and, it is, and, it's, and it's not nice. It's, my car is really not very good in the snow, and I should have probably stopped. I had a choice to stop or keep going, and a couple points along my journey, I actually turned around to go a different direction because I could see I was driving into the darker gray cloud where it was even thicker and heavier and stop or keep going. Well, I'm like, well, if it doesn't get better by this concession, I'm going to stop and turn around. And old man Winter was like messing with me today because as I kept going, I could see blue sky. So let me keep going. I mean, I don't know if you know Bruce County very well, but like there's uh, Highway 3 and Katy Market. You know where Katy Market is? Yes, okay. That's usually like a crux point in our weather systems. It's usually like, well, if it doesn't really get better there, it's probably not going to get better, but this is kind of a hinge point. If it's okay here, you know, keep going. Blue sky around Katy, keep going. Get past Katy, back into the squalls. Do I stop or keep going? Well, now it's Highway 6. If I get to Highway 6, south of Owen Sound, I'll make a decision, stop or keep going. It's kind of nice coming south of Owen Sound, so I keep going. Leave Owen Sound, I'm back into it. I'm like, well, now I'm over halfway. Stop or keep going. And now I'm grumbling and I'm kind of angry and I'm hating winter more, but I keep going. Stop or keep going. In my heart of hearts, I knew there'd be sun in Thornbury. And as I pulled in and the sun was shining, I was like, that's why I came this morning. I trust, I was like, I know it's going to be sunny here. So I kept going. I'm glad I did. I had a really long week and a really terrible start to my March break. Faith and I took a little tiny vacation to Nova Scotia on this this week, just for a few days. My, my parents took my kids. Thank the Lord. It was wonderful. They usually go to Florida, but they couldn't go to Florida this year, so my dad hand-bombed a ton of sand into his living room so he could set up Florida in his living room for his grandkids. And it sounds like I'm lying, but I'm not. He had his whole living room 
with about six inches of sand. And he invited all the grands to come over, and they were building sandcastles in his living room, which is very cool. Who else would do that, by the way? I don't think anybody else would do that. I was trying to tell my kids, like, <laughs> nobody actually does this. Like, only my dad will do this for you. And they took it for granted. Anyway, we went to Nova Scotia. And uh, we had to get up at 3 a.m. to get to Toronto. My dad was driving us. We got into the airport like 5, know, 5 o'clock, get through security. Everything's going grand. Get to the gate, to the terminal. And I hand in my ticket, scans, boop, great. Driver's license, lady looks at it, it's expired. Oh, okay, well, that's what I thought. My kind of stomach dropped. Oh, well, that's all right. That's not good. Well, but I got my health card. Expired. <laughs> of course, they expire on your birthday, which was for me six, five months ago. I got, there's nothing I can do for you, she says, but ruder, meaner. Two, two uh, validated, the two identifications, so your vaccine passport, your passport, which I didn't bring because I didn't want to lose it, didn't think I'd need it, and another piece of identification, but I don't have any other identification. So the line is going through, and I'm scrambling, and I'm having this, like, I honestly don't know what to do. Do I stop or keep going? I'm going to keep going. So this other, the other person, helped. she's like, if you apply online, you may be able to renew your driver's license online, and that'll, that'll do it. So I'm like, my, my, it's like 6 in the morning. My thumbs are like shaking as I'm trying to like fill out my application to renew my driver's license. I get to the bottom, can't renew your photos past 10 years old. Okay, now everyone's gone through the gate. The woman at the, the gate's like, you're going to be like, it's too late. Like you've got like seconds to catch this plane. Faith has already gone through. She's like on the plane, sitting, waiting. The rental car on the other side is in my name. The hotel that we're supposed to be at is like two hours away from the Halifax airport. We have no idea what is going to happen. I renew my health card. I figure it out. I get it done. And like, I've, I've done it here. Well, now the third person's come by. I believe the manager, and she says, we can't accept digital. It has to be printed out. Nothing we can do for you, but ruder, meaner. That was it. I'm like, ah, gate's closed, it's locked. The people leave the thing, and I'm sitting in the chair in Toronto Pearson Airport, my wife on the plane, and I've just missed my flight because I'm an idiot, and I didn't renew my driver's license five months ago. Has anyone else ever done anything like this before? A couple of you. Yes. Because I'm looking around, like, there's thousands of people here, and there's one person who missed their plane. It's me, and I feel like a doofus. All said, my dad was only, like, 10 minutes away. I was the second line in service Ontario. I got my license renewed. I had to fork out another grand to get on a plane that afternoon because, yes, it's a... Whatever. And I ended up flying in at like 9 o'clock, 8, 8 o'clock, whatever it was. But it was like one of those moments where it's like I am paralyzed by indecision. I don't know what to do. I've never had this happen to me before. 
And it blindsided me because I thought everything was going well. And then it was like that bottom drop moment where you realize, oh, this isn't going to go the way that I think it was going to go. And there's no one helpful. I have to kind of like make it on my own here. And I, and I did. I kept going. And so I share these stories with you because I, I'm just trying to frame the situation for the church in Acts. Because where we are in the story of Acts, it, it actually is a really wonderful respite pause. If we open the, the book of Acts... And we read uh, chapter 9, verse 26. I'm going to read it aloud and just follow along. And I want you just to think about Luke, the writer. I want you to think about why is Luke writing this? What's the, what's the point? Because in the, ancient, in the ancient world, they did not waste words. It was a lot of effort to write stuff. You know, you had to know how to write. You had to have the proper paper. You had to have the quill. If you're ever planning on your book being, like, like uh, shared, you have to rely on scribes to kind of copy it for you. So you're not going to waste words. Luke, all these gospel writers, all these New Testament writers are not wasting anything with their language. So why is Luke telling us this? I think it's really important. It's subtle, but it's important. So verse 26 uh, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join disciples. So that is Saul of Tarsus, slash Paul. And when they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple, but as we talked about last week, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, this is not the same Hellenists that are Jewish, Greek-speaking followers of Jesus. These are Jewish, uh, Greek-speaking people. They don't, these Hellenists are not the Hellenists that like Philip was and, and Stephen was. These are like antagonizing Hellenists. And they were seeking to kill him, that is Saul. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus, back to his hometown. But here's what I think we need to slow down and just ask Luke, why are you telling us this, Luke? At verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The church all through Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace, was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. You could almost end the book of Acts right at this point. Now, when we are reading our Bibles, or we are like listening to a story or a sermon, and we're kind of seeped in the tradition of the church, even if we're new to the traditions of the church, 
we all enter into that experience with a lot of prejudice. Now, prejudice isn't always bad, but we have a lot of bias. We have a lot of background knowledge. Even if we're not really thinking about it consciously, we all have an understanding of Jesus. Globally, Jesus is a, is a really, he's a global figure. He's recognized in every major religion in some form or way. His symbol of the cross is proliferated all around the world in buildings and on chains and in symbology and in music and art. It's really, really hard to not have some sort of a bias when we read the story of the scriptures or we hear a sermon or we are practicing in the traditions of the church. And so it's really important to really, and I say this all the time and I'll keep saying it, to really, really, really slow down and just ask the text, the author, what are you doing here and why? Why are you telling us this? What's the, what's the point, Luke? Why would you waste those couple of sentences? Why were they important? And I think there's a kind of a clue. If we actually take this little section of, of pause that Luke is telling us and we look backwards, we could almost go like reverse to the beginning of time. It, it kind of makes a little bit more sense that here this kind of this Jewish people, this population, way, way, way back, chosen by God, the father, Abraham, in a time when the world is dominated by kind of pagan mythology and gods and sacrificial systems, God chooses Abram to be the father of his people. A people that will bless the world. And he's got this long narrative with his son Isaac. And Isaac has his, his sons Jacob and Esau. And Jacob has the tribe. There's like 12 sons and there's like this family. But way back then there's no Torah. There's no law. There's no scrolls. There's no churches. There's no synagogues. There's no temple. There's just people in relationship with each other and a relationship with an invisible God that they cannot see. That's it. And they're walking by literal faith. And that family grows. And they develop this kind of emerging culture. And then they're enslaved for 400 years. And then they're free. And then they meet Moses. And Moses has this grand epiphany on Mount Sinai where then God gives them the Ten Commandments. They're kind of binding, uh, uh, what do you call it, a constitution. This, but they're still a nomadic bunch of people. And as their, their nation grows, they start to really form a cultural identity, a religious identity. And then you start seeing these scrolls be written Leviticus and Deuteronomy and the Ten Commandments, and they become kind of these binding agreements of what it means to be a person of God. And all through the, 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 the shifting, evolving progression of these people with Moses and Joshua, and the conquest into Canaan, and the time of the judges, and Samuel and David, and the kings and the kingdoms, 
there's this real layering of culture and identity and tradition and interpretation. And then you have real significant problems where these nations are crushed and they're forced into exile and now there's even more of a reflection. And then you have the beginning of what would be eventually the Pharisaic movement, the separatists and the conquering nations that come in like Persia and Greece and Rome. And now the identity of the Jewish people is literally threatened. They're fighting for their survival and their worldview. It, they are locked in so tight to defend their place in history and their calling to be God's people. And if you can imagine from the beginning to this point, it's like a scaffold has been built. Ideas and, and experiences and history and people and kings and people we admire and people that we don't and the warnings and, and it's like a, a national scaffold, an identity. And then one day, this guy named Jesus walks in. And he looks like a lot of the figures of the past. He looks like, like Elijah. He sounds like David. He's wise like Solomon. He is a retrospective of all this emerging history and culture. But he's really shaking on that scaffold. That house of popsicle sticks that the Jewish people, the Jewish identity had been built on, Jesus was really rattling it hard. And the people had a decision. They could say, we, we either are going to stop or we're going to keep going with Jesus. And the more Jesus talked, the more Jesus spoke, the more Jesus kind of like broke all the laws. He started to like take apart some of the scaffold. He started to say, you know, you, you, you've got this identity around this thing, but actually that's not important at all. You, you, you think this part of the, the law is important, but actually you've really misread it. It should be like this. You've taken the Sabbath, which is supposed to be rest, and you turned it into a heavy burden. And he starts ripping the scaffold apart, and the nation says, Stop, Jesus. They stop. They they. They literally stop him. They kill him. Enough. You are shaking our identity too much. Too, it's going too deep. You're threatening our, 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 whole, our existence. Jesus, stop it. And top to bottom, from the very highest high priest down to the, to the person on the street, everybody wanted Jesus dead. His friends abandoned him. His disciples Leave him in the lurch. His closest friend, Peter, denies that he even knew him at all. And Jesus is stopped. Except you can't stop God. And three days later, Jesus comes back from the dead and he emerges. He says, you guys can't stop me. I'm Jesus. I'm God in the flesh. I'm going to recorrect everything. I'm going to reconcile the world to the Father. And here is the beginning of the story of Acts. The people that are around Jesus, when they see him, they have a choice. 
the disciples have a choice. We can stop in where we are or we can keep going with Jesus. And so they, they keep going, a handful of them. And they meet in the upper room and they're waiting for this, this gift that Jesus said was coming. And then one day the Holy Spirit falls on them and they become pneuma-filled. They're filled with courage. They're filled with uh, love, compassion, understanding, clarity. And they actually look like Jesus. Jesus has passed on his spirit, his, the Holy Spirit, to them. And now there's not just one Jesus. There's now like 120 Jesuses on the street. Well, that is an interesting thing to happen. They start preaching, healing, doing what Jesus did. And more people accepted Jesus. More people said, well, this is a great thing. Let's keep going. Let's keep going with Jesus. Awesome. And these people started to experience new things. Like Jesus, who lived a new way, they're starting to live differently. There's this new spontaneity of joy that they realize when they come together and they're not in competition with each other and they're not, they don't look at each other's skin color or the sounds of their voice or, or their status. They see people as Jesus sees them. They see the need. They see how to respond. And there's a spontaneous, overflowing joy. And they start sharing their stuff with the people in need. They start giving away their excess. They start having people over in, in their houses for meals and start calling each other brothers and sisters when they weren't. Men and women became be becoming equal. Children, youth, the elderly, the widows, the most marginalized are becoming equal. And it is an emerging picture of the kingdom of God, which really never existed to this point. And most people are like, let's keep going. This is amazing. But then there's some new problems. They can't quite see what is, what is going to happen. And they run into issues. Discrimination, language barriers, cultural divide. And they have a choice. Do we, do we stop here? Or do we keep going in where we think God is nudging us. Thankfully, they kept going. And they did so in this new way. They said, you know what? I don't need to be the most important. I don't need to have the, the, the biggest job. I don't need to be the conduit between, you know, these people and those people. Let's choose the most best fit person for the jobs that need to be done. And so they appoint the elders, Stephen and Philip and all these Greek-speaking people and the Hellenists. And the, the, the apostles shared the load. And the disciples shared the load, and, and, and it was like this emerging, beautiful culture with a new definition of what it meant to be healthy and successful and vibrant. They kept going. But they ran into more problems. Persecution. They ran into some real tough slogging, real tough sledding, where now they've just irritated this, this, this scaffold had been shaken, not just by Jesus, but by this whole community in Jerusalem. And the people in Jerusalem said, this, is, this can't go on. And so they drag Stephen, and they stone him, and they kill him. 
And they're hoping that if they kill Stephen, it'll be an example to everybody else to abandon this, this ridiculous idea of Jesus. And they had a choice. Stop or keep going. And now it's getting real. Stopping means preservation. If those Christians in Jerusalem said, you know what? It was really ugly to see Jesus die and it's really horrible to see Stephen die. I don't think I want to be a part of this. They had a very easy out. They could have easily said, yeah, you're, you're right, high priest. You're right, Saul, Pharisees. This is kind of a joke. We don't, we're not a part of this anymore, so we're out. But they don't stop. They keep going. And it costs them a lot. Those Christians in Jerusalem, those early followers of Jesus, are driven out of their homes. So many of them are like bound up, imprisoned, beaten. It cost them a lot, but they kept going. And it didn't stop the spread of the gospel of Jesus anyway. Because they kept going, this, this message just kind of multiplied outside of the city of Jerusalem. And it really kept shaking the, the, the scaffold, the paradigm. Because now these, these Jewish people who are following Jesus are being introduced to people that they don't like. And they would never associate with. Never choose to be around this message, this thing that Jesus is pulling them into a new way of living. And Philip goes into Samaria and he runs into Simon the wizard who is a Samaritan charlatan. Remember, the Samaritans are like the, the, the weird cousins you don't want to be around. We've all got them. The people you just don't want to associate with, that you're better than. Now Jesus is asking you to see them as equals. That they too get to be invited into this family. And these, these early disciples had a choice. Do we, do we stop here? They have every reason to stop, every cultural reason, every social reason to say, you know what? You know, we came this far, we're kind of getting persecuted for our faith, we're getting dragged out of our home, but now you're asking us to associate with these people? Mm. You know what, Jesus, we're going to stop. Too far. But they don't, they keep going. And then they run into even more people that are on the outside of even their outside. And they run into the Ethiopian eunuch who is literally from the ends of the earth. Who is as marginalized as you could be as a eunuch. He's not allowed to participate in the temple worship because he is basically subhuman. And, and they have a choice. Do we accept this guy, this eunuch, who breaks all of our all prerequisites of what it means to be a person of God? This, this guy is on the outs of the outs of the outs. We, certainly, Jesus, we should stop here. Certainly, we shouldn't, go, we shouldn't be caring about these people about this guy. 
and yet they keep going. And they invite the Ethiopian eunuch in to the family of God. And then it gets really, really weird. And maybe the, one of the biggest tests to date so far is then that this early church, these people that are following Jesus, that are spirit-filled, that their whole scaffold is being like dismembered and taken apart and shaken and broken down, in a very short time, their brains are being stretched beyond their imagination, then they have to confront the idea that Saul, the persecutor, the very one who was dragging them out of their homes, he's come to Jesus too. He is the epitome of what Jesus was railing against when he was on earth. He's a Pharisee. And he's violent and he's cruel. He's intentionally, methodically trying to dismantle the movement of Jesus. But now he has found Jesus? And we are to invite him into the family? Surely, Jesus, this is where we stop. How far does this go? And many of them at this point, you can see as the story of Acts progresses, you can actually see and hear their delay. You can hear their pause. Luke tells us. You can hear, you can hear their resistance, rightfully so. Everywhere Saul goes after his meeting Jesus, the Christians, the people who are following Jesus, the disciples, they say, no thanks, no thanks, Paul. Saul, we don't trust you. We don't like you. You've hurt us. This is a trap. No, you can hear it in their voices, rightfully so. And yet there's a few brave, courageous people who say, let's keep going. And Barnabas reaches out and he says, no, we're going to keep going. We're not stopping here. And so this point in the book of Acts, Luke is trying to bring us to a, to a narrative point of pause. And good storytellers do this. And Luke is a really good storyteller. Has anybody watched the Man Mandalor Mandalorian? You do. Yes. Yes. Are you up to date? Are you watching all of them? Have you watched season three, episode three? Yeah, okay. What do you think of it? Oh, what do you think of this last episode? It's good, eh? So where we watch, we, uh, it's, it's happening in our home now. We, have a, we live in an old church. So we have a big screen, and we project some movies onto the big screen. And we do that with Mando, or The Mandalorian. So it's a Star Wars thing, if you don't know. Um, that's all I'll say. But... This episode, my, my kids were complaining because the story went in a really weird way. And it introduced new characters that you hardly know and it's like, literally they're yelling at the screen, get back to Mandalore, like get back to the Mandalorian. We don't want to see this. They want to see this guy, this weird tangential thing. And I said, kids, kids, stop. Like a good story will take you and weave you back and forth. And a good story will bring it all back together. You have to trust it. If you've liked The Mandalorian to this point, you can't throw it away 
season three, episode three, just because you don't like where it's going for 10 minutes? You gotta trust the storytelling. Dad was right. By the end of the episode, it was made a lot of sense as what they're trying to do. And when you come to the Gospels and you come to Acts, you come to Luke, you come to Revelation, you come to the New Testament writers, you can sure trust that they are excellent storytellers. They don't waste words. They don't put things in that don't need to be. They, they leave things out intentionally. They leave it up to our imaginations to fill in, to do study. And Luke here, I think, at this point in Acts, is saying, wow, guys, look how far you've come from that nomadic tribe wandering in the desert with two blocks of stones for constitution. You came all the way to this point. You're doing it, guys. You're doing it. You have, you're, you're fulfilling what Joel says. You're fulfilling the prophets. It's amazing. And there's a period of rest. There's a period of pause where Luke is like, he is inviting us to just feel. Whew, rest. That's a lot. A lot has happened. Death of the Messiah, the resurrection, this pneuma spirit, these people. My mind can't keep up. My scaffold is being taken down. My whole worldview has changed. I didn't know dead people could come back to life. I didn't know God would come in the flesh. Like all the stuff that's consolidating in their minds is so much to take in. And Luke says, just breathe. Relax. And he says something else. There's a few words in here that are really interesting. He says the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. He's not saying, this is a subtle shift in the language. It's not the church in Jerusalem anymore. It's not one singular church located in a singular city. It's not one congregation. The church collective, has now spread outside of Jerusalem and is now regional in Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and it had peace. This is really intentional storytelling on Luke's part. This Jerusalem church has spread to all the regions where Jesus taught and preached and spoke, that makes sense. Let's let that sit. Let's let that rest. Okay, Jesus came. He did this stuff. This was his area. This was his catchment. And now there's a church collective who are following the way, following Jesus. Pneuma-filled, spirit-filled, new humanity. Amazing. Stop or keep going. That church was going to be confronted with the biggest test of their faith to date. So do we stop here in this comfortable spot? Saul the persecutor, he's now one of us. He's not coming after us anymore. And notice when Saul stops persecuting, the persecution stops. 
He was the driving force to that. It's, it's, they found peace. Wow, God, you've done amazing things. You took the worst guy, he became a follower, and now we have peace. We can practice and preach and, and be Jesus in the world without any hindrance. That's amazing. We can stop right here and have a pretty sweet life. Or do we keep going? Because the next thing to come apart from that scaffold of their identity would be the biggest test of their understanding. You turn the page in Acts, you just turn the chapter, Luke tells us. And there's one more story that we're going to do from Acts. And, and it takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of mental preparation for the characters in this story to, to see what God is calling to them next. And it's not in Jerusalem. And it's not in Judea and Galilee and Samaria. It's to the whole world. Here's, here's, your, here's your off-ramp, Luke says. You can stop here. You can be content with how things have settled out and you can just rest in it. Or you can keep going. And if you keep going, you're going to come into the Gentile world. You're going to run up against challenges like you didn't know you could face. And you're not going to have the same worldview shared with the people in, across the aisle from you. You're going to come across people who have no concept of Yahweh. No idea who Jesus is. They don't care about Elijah and Moses and Abram. They don't share your tradition or your background. This is the whole wide world. Stop or keep going. Spoiler, if you've read through the whole book of Acts, it ends with, with Paul and Rome, the epicenter of the world. Who would have ever thought that it, this little movement would end up at the throne room of Caesar? Stop. Or keep going. For us, as a church, as individuals, for Blue Mountain Community, you are at an interesting transition. You're at an interesting point in your life. You've been here for how long? Who would know the age of this church? Like 100 years? Something like that? 60, but there's a community before that merged into this one. This is a long history. And we could be satisfied just living our days out like this. It's comfortable. We know each other. We smile. We've got a nice thing going here. It's, it's warm. We're going to have pastries in a couple weeks. That's pretty nice. We can stop right here. Who would blame us for stopping right here? Or 
do we keep going? Is there somewhere that Jesus is actually kind of calling out to us to move to? Now, the word call in my mind, I wrote this down because it really troubles me in the tradition I grew up in. I don't, it's not an audible, like, no choice, like, you are are called and set out and there's no possible way for you. It's like this domineering God. That's not what I mean. Honestly, I think of it more like Frozen 2 which my daughter loves to watch, the mom has this song. It's like a distant song that you kind of hear and you kind of know. And it like beckons you to find it. And the closer you get to it, the clearer it becomes. But it's not always clear and it's not always audible. But it's like a yearning, a beckoning. That's how I think God calls us. He doesn't say, you know, you're going to do this because I told you to. No, no, no. He's, the Spirit of Jesus is like beckoning us with a song. A faraway song that we move towards to find that that's where God is leading us. And we have a choice. We stop here or we seek it out. Let him lead us. It will probably be to a new place. If you use Acts as a template, you're going to run into conflict. You're going to run into problems. It's going to be uncomfortable. It may ask something of you that you aren't ready to give up right now. It may put you in a really difficult position internally. You can bet that your scaffold is going to get shaken. That the identity, the beliefs, the values that you've held on to for a long, long time, they're going to get rattled. And it's going to feel weird. But if we trust the narrative, if we trust the writers, if we trust Jesus, he always leads to truth, love, joy, Reconciliation. The the yoke gets lighter. You find more freedom. You get closer to God. Because that's what Jesus does. So we can stop, which I'm going to do right now. And when we leave, we can keep going. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time to reflect. Thank you for your story. We thank you for all the infinite moments you give us to keep following you, to be able to have ears to hear your song that that beckons us out. Jesus, may we trust you. May we be courageous. May we walk boldly with your spirit. May we have clarity as to the steps we're to take. Jesus, I pray that we wouldn't be afraid of having our scaffold shaken. That we'd follow in the footsteps of of our ancestors in the faith that took courageous risks. That took steps towards you. 
And we thank you that uh, you are good, loving, patient, merciful, gracious God. We thank you so much for these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Blue Mountain Community Church Podcast. May God's word fill you up this week. God bless.